Welcome back to Inside the Oval presented by Dignity Health. I'm Haley Jones. And I'm Patty Kwan. And this episode, we are joined by the incredibly talented 49ers creative director, Aaron LaVore. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> Aaron, thanks for joining the podcast. I guess to start, what is your job as creative director of the 49ers entail? Sure. As creative director, I oversee our internal design department. Uh, we're a small but mighty team of five consisting of graphic and motion designers. Uh, we're responsible for building out the visual identity, supporting our marketing campaigns, and also maintaining brand consistency throughout all the artwork we produce throughout the organization. When you went to college, did you want to study design? <clears throat> I did. So in high school, um, by chance, I was in photo class and our, well, this was the dark age, it kind of shows my age. We were <laughs> doing darkroom photography and our darkroom kind of went out of commission. So we switched over to using com computers and learning Photoshop. And at that point I was like, this is really cool. Um, and I was doing CD covers, also shows my age, CD covers for my friends. And they were like, this is really good. You should keep doing this. Um, I didn't really take it seriously until I got to junior college and I took design classes and that was just kind of like what solidified my, my kind of path into graphic design. What was like classes like in high school for something like design? It was still, I think it was pretty generalized. It's like, and I was doing art class and photography class and there wasn't a specific graphic design class yet. I really didn't figure that out until like my second or third year in college. That's interesting. Um, my art design background is kid pics in like second grade. <laughs> so I was um, a big Microsoft Word art paint? Yes. Clip, <laughs> clip art. Microsoft clip art. So we've, we've made a long way since then. Obviously, you're a talented designer, but we also have to know you're incredibly passionate about music, which is showcased by the fact that you literally brought your own microphone to this recording, which, by the way, is our first ever Inside the Oval recording in person. Except I did one with Christine Zambetti, which uh -oh. oddly also a designer. Also a designer. <laughs> We're on a real kick. Yeah. Um, That's heavy vibe. <laughs> where did your love of music come from, and how have you been able to incorporate that passion into your design work? Um, I've always done music. I think as early as I can remember, I, was, I learned how to play piano um, by ear when I was like six or seven years old. Never had formal training with music whatsoever, but always had the, the, the interest, the deep interest in it. I made beats in high school. I DJed in high school, picked up the guitar and bass guitar in high school. And that was like around the time in the 2000s where like punk bands and metal bands were really a thing. So I was in a couple bands and kind of jumped around from instrument to instrument. But like the whole process of like learning to write music, songwrite, is what I figured out in, in, in art, you learn how to like create in the same manner. Like you learn your tools, you learn, you use your skills to kind of think things through and kind of attack your creativity. And I try to explain it as, as much as possible with, with visual art. Like I kind of work the same way. Like if I'm writing a song, um, I have a, like a, a spark in my head, like an idea. And I just really like chase after the spark. 
And what I tell our designers is that like, if you have that spark for something, like even if it's like a really small idea of our, our concept or for like a wallpaper or whatnot, go after it and kind of do the research, whatever it takes. But like, I would love for you to just explore, even if it doesn't go anywhere, just like don't leave anything unturned because you never know what will come out of like your idea visually. Do you ever storyboard? Um, there's a lot of different types of designers. It's hard to say. I visualize things in my head really well. Um, there's one type that will like totally sketch things out on paper, right? And that helps. Um, but I like like how I you know produce music. Will chase after something, and I know like my my tools really well. Um, that's not to say that I have like a downloads folder full of things that I was researching in my laptop because there there's one of those that I kind of hide it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, social media and the inter- the internet is just like a powerful tool for, for kind of digging into your creativity. You know, I could be scrolling Instagram stories one night and something will, you know, it's going to spark my head. And I'll put that in our, my favorites or what do you call it? The saved folder. Save, yeah. And I have that, like it's just a random saved folder in my, my yeah. Instagram, but um, and I'll organize it to like things that pertain to our brand, like Fable to the Bay. Um, and I'll just reference that in our meetings. Like, Hey, look, check this out. Like, that's really dope. Um, how do we do that? Or how do we like try to incorporate that in our brand? So stuff like that. I guess along those lines, like I feel like for sports social, at least like if there's a trend, everyone hops on that trend. Mm-hmm. Like how, how are you able to like express your creativity when, you know, like sports creative either like starts to look the same or like, you know, things get like repetitive. Like how do you just like break out of that kind of mold? Yeah. I think that's our biggest challenge with our creative team is that we love to get inspired by other teams, especially um, other things in, in sports or fashion. Um, but we always have to, and I, I really hone in on this. Like we really have to like see through, see things through a lens of like, does this fit the Fortnite's brand? And sometimes it's really tough to make that decision. Like, no, that doesn't fit. Like, you know, some things are like really glitchy in like motion design or some things are like, really like grungy. I always thought like from, you know, the, the, the time I stepped foot here is that, um, let's not like do it that way. Like there's a, <laughs> there's, we have to bring in history, um, a, a certain kind of like excellence or like cleanliness to our brand. And it's hard to really explain unless you really like massage it in, um, while you're working on stuff. But, um, early on when we bring in designers, that's, that's huge. Like once you really understand, like really like, kind of massage that, like it's like a Fortnite's DNA or the Fortnite's way as, as they say in football. Um, once they understand that, then it's a lot easier to like, move projects from beginning to end because there's, there's less direction there. Like, oh yeah, you understand it. I want to go back to the saved folder. Do you ever go back like really far and see what you thought was like interesting years ago? Yeah. Is it the same as what you think oh, is cool no, now? <laughs> it literally changes every year um, because that's, that's how fast we have to stay agile as creatives. And I could tell you like my portfolio from when I first started, designing uh or first started in sports design was just kind of embarrassing 
but if you look at the landscape, I mean, before social media, it was just, we're just kind of like working in the dark. I felt like, you know, I didn't even know our counterparts and other sports Bay Area teams. On that subject, when Christine was on the podcast, her like number one piece of advice to people applying for design jobs was to submit a portfolio. Mm-hmm. How often do you or should you update your portfolio? And like, what do you think when you're looking at someone's makes a good portfolio? Yeah, I think when you're trying to make it in sports design, I think there's a lot of competitiveness now. I and the ones who really jumped out at us were ones who are or creatives who we've known already. Like, I don't know how, like, I'm not, I'm not searching for people for creatives out there. Um, <clears throat> some really like kind of sell their brand. Um, and there's a certain, how do you say way to do it? Like some of our kind of overbe- overbearing, like, well, I, you know, you're doing this, you're, you're in my DMS too much. And I, I try not to like reply to DMS. Yeah, there's a certain cadence or tonality to it, but the act of like keeping your your portfolio updated and like up to date, like even if you don't have work that was was published, um, work that you do personally, like that still jumps out at us. Um, and I'll speak to the creatives out there. Um, there. We get a lot of portfolios that are just like sports Instagram posts per se, like really Photoshop heavy. And those are great, like, but they become kind of like the the cover photo for portfolio. Like, our team specifically look for look deeper into skill sets. Like, can you do motion design? Can you do illustration? Are you a photographer? Like, once we start to understand the person, the designer as a whole, then that's when we, what kind of like gets our attention. Kind of along those lines, perhaps not. I'm kind of curious about like, I know we joke about like a design graveyard of just things that are created and we can't use for whatever reason, or, you know, just, you know, you were saying that creatives always have to be agile. How would you describe yours? And like, how many things do you think you've sent to said graveyard? It's like daily. The the, (laughs) the biggest graveyard, and it's probably obvious by now, is the Super Bowl. We were recently in, in 2019, we worked more than a month. We had to be prepared for a parade. Um, like, so we were wrapping trains and having mock-ups for, you know, street signs, street banners, um, stages. And we also had social media, like, ready to go in case we had, you know, won the you know final score. And it sucked. <laughs> I mean, we didn't win. I mean, we were all there. It was just kind of like it took the life out of us. But like, it's cool to say like to look back and all all the teamwork we had put into that graveyard was pretty cool. But no one will ever see it. Yeah, it kind of lives in the dark at this point. Do you ever like look back at it? Yeah, when I move folders around, (laughs) (laughs) like oh yeah, that was cool. That one time, (laughs) let's do it again. Let's just like maybe just use that logo again. Yeah. Okay. Um, with 15 years of professional sports and entertainment experience under your belt, you had to start somewhere. What was your first job in the creative design field out of college? Um, out of college. So I was interning in college at a local marketing agency. It was really like a couple of people, marketing experts. Um, but that's where I kind of built my portfolio. And then 
when I graduated, I was like full hunt mode. And back then in 2007, you were hunting not on LinkedIn because I don't think that was a thing yet. Uh, I was on Craigslist. <laughs> um, Craigslist. So I was reading and you couldn't tell like it's like the Wild West in Craigslist, right? Like you could read something that like, um, you know, someone's selling their shoes or whatnot or like their bike. And then all of a sudden there's a job post like. I couldn't believe it when I, I saw a job post for a graphic designer for the Golden State Warriors. And this was like, they had just come off their We Believe run in 2007. Like literally like a week after they had ended their, their season, they put this job post on. I was like, this isn't for real. But I applied and then three or four days later, I got an email from their creative director that they um, wanted to get me in for an interview. So... I did everything. I, I put together my physical portfolio. I remember like the interview I brought like a, I don't know, a two foot wide, like portfolio to bring along with me. Like I was like going for like a school <laughs> prod, like I'm presenting. It was like a trifold. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> and I was like, I remember during the interview, I was just kind of just shuffling around like, man, what? This is like not convenient. Like, people <laughs> just bring like laptops or iPads now, but yeah, that's how it was. And then, the kicker was, I think they really liked my personality. And I asked my girlfriend if I could borrow her We Believe t-shirt. Because uh, I'd wear it underneath for, for good luck. You know, like to show I was like a big Warriors fan. And I, um, at the interview, interview I un unbuttoned my shirt a little bit. <laughs> I was like, look, I'm a, I'm a Dubs fan. And they were like, ooh, awesome. But you know, I did, I mean, I, I ended up getting hired there. Worked there for almost eight years through, it was like through thick and thin. Like we started with, after that we believe run, it was just like kind of the dark ages again. Like we stopped winning. <laughs> we were like the worst team in the league. And then, you know, changed coaches, changed ownership, and then went on that run. So I kind of saw like the whole spectrum of winning and losing and, and seeing like a very young Steph Curry, like really change. Um, the impact or the trajectory of the Warriors, which is really cool. From there, what was your path to the 49ers? I'm assuming not Craigslist. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, around that time when I'd left, I just got married and I just, my wife and I just purchased the house. So in, in my head, I was like looking for a startup job to, you know, one, you know, make more money. And real, I had this really interest in like, I want to work on apps. Like, the iPhone had just come out <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to be on that, like the front lines to like to work on, to work on apps and being part of that kind of SF startup and being that, that kind of life or environment. So I did that for a few years um, and then eventually landed uh, at E2K, which is uh, one of the companies or event companies that, that the front has worked with um, who manages the gold rush and, all the, the live entertainment. So then I, I didn't know along the way, but like every stop I, I, I had, um, there was at least one person who knew, who, who eventually knew the, um, the hiring manager here at the Four Niners. So it was really where like my biggest um, lesson, like of never burning your bridges happened. And um, things were going sour at this one startup I was working at, at and, you know, I was looking for a new job 
and it just made total sense. Like I'm ready to like for a bigger role. Like I've been managing people, um, managing creatives at my job, and I wanted to be, you know, a creative director or art director. And this this role popped up, and it was just the perfect timing, perfect thing. Um, my son was about to turn one, and I'd been looking for a job to to work closer to home. And Levi Stadium is obviously closer to, to San Jose, where I'm from. And I've been commuting for like close to 10, 10 years. And I was just kind of tired. But, <laughs> but, you know, when I when I got the job, it was just like the biggest, biggest relief to, you know, be closer to home, be closer to my family. But also like literally my dream job. I grew up rooting for the 49ers and watching all of like the big games on TV. Do you remember your first project with the Niners? The first project was actually my test project, and they accepted it. It is still in use today. It's the Amp Squad logo. So that <laughs> I wasn't even under payroll yet, and <laughs> they took it and like ran with it. They probably started printing stuff for um, their stage even before I was hired. <laughs> yeah. Are test projects common in the hiring process? It really it's it's kind of like the last. Like it kind of solidifies like your, your decision as a team if you're hiring somebody. It really comes down to like there's one the personality fit and you know if you get you know past the, the first round that you're obviously a personality fit. But then there's also a creative fit. Like our team specifically, we have a, a range of creative um, strengths or special powers. I would say. And we like to maintain that, like, you know, if, you know, Christine is really good at Photoshop. She's like Photoshop wizard. Uh, Noah's good at motion design, who's our our graphic designer. And then Brandon is a really good illustrator, uh, really good with a pen and paper. Um, And I've I've always, you know, kept that idea of, like, if we're strong as a team, like, we could do anything. Um, That's kind of our, our mantra. And, and as, as a leader in the team, I want to make sure I'm like the glue person to make sure like, hey, you should work with this person because you're going to make it twice as good. And it's, it's worked out so far in these, these five or so years. Oh, I have a random one that wasn't um, sent to you earlier. So sorry to put you on the spot. Like, do you know when like creative design became more prominent in sports, like marketing teams? I know for like social, it was like, you know, 2012 was when like Twitter came out or whatever. Yeah, it was, um, I it was, yeah, kind of dating myself again. Like I saw the changing of the guard. Like when I graduated, I assumed I was going to, I studied, you know, poster design billboard. Like the big thing was like, I'm going to create a billboard one day for a big company. <laughs> I eventually did, but like that was my goal. Right. And I, I assumed I would work for some random tech company in the, in the Silicon Valley um, and found myself in sports. And so, yeah, I saw the changing of the guard. Like I, for the first five to six years, I, our thing was designing sales posts, uh, sales flyers. Like every time like there'd be a new, like the LeBron pack or the Kobe pack, we designed those and we kind of base our like our seasonal look of, as with that as like the as like the main piece and then social media came out right like 2000 when was that 10 2011 when instagram started taking off yeah um that's when 
things were like super digestible, right? And I had to adapt personally. And then, you know, the designers around me had to adapt. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're designing for like something super high res back then with the poster, but now it's like, it's going to be like to smaller pixel or, you know, smaller file sizes. So I adapted quickly. And that I think, I personally think that's really helped my, my career. You know, if you could adapt to tech, new technology, new programs, you're going to stay afloat because it's super competitive and there's a lot of people in the space. Your team with all of their different talents created, has created a bunch of marketing campaigns for the 49ers. The one that I'm thinking of is Faithful to the Bay. Mm. What goes into creating something of that scope where you are hitting social and digital, but you're also hitting non-digital platforms? Yeah, I think with Faithful to the Bay, I think um, what really like puts wheels on a project is like the belief in it. Like, you know, we had come up with it a few years prior to it being a, a thing we were kind of attacking in marketing. So we kind of like shelved that idea then when it when the time came after we were kind of finishing up our previous campaign we looked at each other and looked at like you know that idea like you know it actually works and it works with the fans like you could put i think it's huge that you could put ownership bring ownership to the fans like are you faithful like it's almost like a verb and like like just the word faithful and paired with the bay there's an, an amount of um ownership and pride with that term. So we, we, we understood that, but then the more we thought about it, the more we could kind of like see where it fits, like community relations, um, things we do out in the community, it still made sense. Like you're faithful to the Bay, you're serving the Bay and you're just kind of stewards to like, you know, bringing change, bringing um, not just football, things that, you know, you're part of the community and you're stewards of like good things. When I'm going back to storyboarding, so apologies, but when you are doing something where you're creating a campaign that has, it's more than just you, it's, there's lots of people. Do you guys then put that down? How do you keep yourself organized? So you use similar elements or kind of make sure it's cohesive. Yeah. What's helped us was we've always leaned with like the foreigners history. And that's one tie into our fans. Like they know our fans there's a whole bunch of fans that know history front to back. I mean, I've watched the foreigners since 88 and I still don't know everything, even like being in this building. Um, but to like really serve the history well in a way that it's still kind of like relevant or cool, like modernized that that's kind of been the formula we've been trying to achieve. So when we, started researching for faithful to the bay we our best and i our, i guess our x factor has been going to our our museum on site um when we're kind of like okay what else can we like how do we get that spark we just go to the we'll just walk to this the museum and there's always something there um in this case it was those historic jackets that say for an in the arching text those were like I want to do a new, a new one of that. And obviously everyone wears the satin jackets. Um, that was like one of the original ideas we had with conceptualizing people to the Bay. Like how do we redo that in 2020? Um, make it cool. And also like be something 
that fans could could pass on to their kids. Um, that that like that solidifies the future. Like there's a lot of there's a few organizations that can do that, like the historic ones. Um, but the, just kind of ushering that kind of fandomship, we thought was really cool. So um, those satin jackets were like the centerpiece to to reaching out to the fans. How did your barrier roots kind of help inspire and shape that campaign? I know like you and Brandon are the two people who are like grew up here, just like from here. And obviously our, the marketing team as a whole is kind of from all over the place. So it's Mm -hmm. like, did, did people rely on, on you and your like upbringing and just being in the Bay for that campaign? Yeah. I've always been like the person in the room, like Aaron, does that make sense to you? Like, the, they're using the You're terminology. Like Bay Area Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia. <laughs> I mean, there's there's several people, including Billy Barnes, who like is like the music Bay Area music historian. All of a sudden, and he's not from here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's from uh, Kansas, which is amazing. But yeah, I think it's hard to say. But like when you know people come to me about like, is this the right Bay Area tone, or does it hit right? I understand that because like I could put myself in at one like I'm from, I'm from here and also I'm a big fan. Um, so that you know in marketing you make those kind of decisions and that helps you like make decisions um, because there's a lot of marketing campaign, campaigns out there and I won't name in any companies or or sports teams where it's just like from an outsider's point of view it's like that doesn't even make sense like you can be like super generic like you know think of like seasonal campaigns like rise up or you know we. We, you know, think of the most generic marketing term. Um, but since the Bay Area is so prideful in our terminology, our music, and, like, in our, our environment, like, things are really, like, you have to really specifically, like, think about things. So the term the Bay is just, you know, as simple as it sounds, it's it gives you a lot of pride as a Bay Area resident. What does being faithful to the Bay mean to you? Just exactly that. I'm from the Bay and I'm faithful. (laughs) And I'll wear that jacket proudly too. You've worked for two Bay Area teams now. Even though like in proximity they're close to each other, are there differences in how you approach designing for the brand or the tone that you took with each one? There's a little bit of difference with, well, one, the, the calendar of basketball and football is a little bit different. Like in basketball we have a lot more games and some of them back to back. So I felt like we were designing more rapidly and think, and we were just thinking on our toes all the time. Whereas like in football, there's a, there's a kind of like a lead up period. And like people don't realize how, how hard we work in the off season. And I tell, I mean, you guys could, could relate like how's it people come up to you and say like, Oh, how, what are you doing in the off season? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> We're like rebuilding and we have so much work, at least in marketing. But yeah, the timeline, but also like the fandom trip, I think is a little bit different. People are crazy about football, like belligerently crazy, like without even having to drink, drink alcohol. But <laughs> um, yeah. And also, well, my, my career timeline was a little bit different. Like I was saying, like, it was a little bit more analog when I was at the Warriors. And when I got here, the, the 
specific type of work I was doing, like things are really like structured and um, thankfully like our previous creative director had created this like kind of style that was uh, very like very nice to, and it was quite a bit a a challenge to like really like, you know, take it a next step or, you know, evolve it. What do you look for in in a designer when you bring new talent to your team? That's exactly that. We bring new talent to the team. <laughs> <laughs> like, we think about like we're you know we'll we'll be um, humble enough to think of like what do we need? Like we're not we're not always like hundred percent strong. Like what what's our weakness? Um, that's that usually makes or breaks a decision in the in the end. There could be like two very very strong candidates, and they could have two different strong points like one could be like a hybrid motion designer one could be like a really amazing uh photoshopper um and that's what we think about like the personality um for our team but also like how does that creative fit in our our puzzle i like to humbly say we 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 try to build a team as like the power rangers like we each come together and <laughs> eventually become something bigger than we are individually uh, and i hope um you know, the, the content kind of shows that. For someone who wants your job or eventually that's, that's their ideal uh, career trajectory, what would your advice to them be? Just keep grinding. Car- carve your own niche out, I think. That's what really stands out. If you, you're good at something, you don't have to, like, uh, a, a lot of creatives think they have to get into sports right away. Like, if, if that is your end goal, to get into sports... Like that you either in it or not, and if you don't make it, you make it into a team. You're, you're that's that's your life trajectory. We're really, like you can work for a clothing company or a startup company or a tech company, and it's just still kill it. Your work will still be seen, and if you're good enough to to like put your, your work out there, it will eventually be relevant when, when we look at um, resumes and, and cover letters and, and portfolios. I try, when I when we look at portfolios in the hiring process, I try to be as neutral as possible. Like one, like the sports portfolios like really stand out because it's the obvious one, but then there's other portfolios that are like, wow, this person has a really neat style or a really unique style. And I'll try to include that as well when we look at uh, candidates. So you were recently featured on the cover of Graphic Design USA <laughs> magazine, which was really cool to see. And I know you posted about it, um, kind of highlighting like your background and how you got there. So you were born in the Philippines mm-hmm. and you grew up in East Side, San Jose. How is that experience, you know, as an immigrant and just being, you know, growing up in the Bay, like shaped who you are today, professionally and like personally? Yeah, that's a deep question. Um, yeah, I, you know, with the society and just kind of awareness about like diversity, I've really like looked into or looked at like my past and like how our, our family got here and see that is like kind of really what shaped me. When we immigrated here, all he wanted to do just to kind of be part of society, all he wanted to do was just be American. Like I learned English, actually didn't speak Tagalog that well when 
I, I came here when I was three years old. But there's a lot of things I remember about just, just trying my best to be American. Like, this is kind of like shameful. Like I was in third grade and my classmates and I were like kind of pointing out like where we were born. And I randomly pointed at the US map and it was actually like on Kentucky or something. My classmates were like, you're from there? I was like, yeah, embarrassing in my head, but I was just trying to fit in. And then that's one of the things that I remember. And then yeah, also growing up in East San Jose, like my parents didn't have a lot of money, lower income. So that really shaped kind of like my hunger. And my brothers actually talked to me about it. Like, it's kind of like, it just kind of feeds our energy as far as like our careers. And that my older brothers are software engineers. My younger brother's a marketing director. Um, and we each have our own careers, but like we share the same kind of fire. And it's not like you know, we didn't have it completely bad. Like we have a great, we had a great childhood. But we didn't have a lot of things we didn't have. Like there, there was actually like days where I, you know, I didn't eat dinner or go to bed hungry a lot. So those things were would stick in my head. Um, like my my mom and dad not having money. My mom would be crying in a room, saying we can't pay for the house. We got to move out, or else we're gonna lose the house. So like being as a kid and just kind of witnessing these things, kind of like instilled like a fire in me. So that, you know, like now, nowadays, like when there's like challenges and people say this, like, dude, you're always calm all the time. Like, well, it's not that these things that, that seem like fires are really, really not that bad. Like no one's losing a limb, you know, no one's, it's not a life or death situation. So I try to like, at least for my team, like instill the calmness, calmness amongst our team. Obviously, your family is really important to you. I mean, since joining the team, you've become a father of two. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that fire and that drive to have be a director and work in this industry and be there for your family? Yeah, it was a learning process, to be honest. Um, you know, you've been working at startups. It was hard to find the balance. Like the last startup I was at, um, my son was not even one year old. And I was having trouble getting home on time to eat dinner. And then there'd be a lot of like, you know, like, where, where were you at home? So and when I got here, I made sure that once I'm home and I'm a hundred percent dad, a hundred percent husband at home, because once you start intermixing them, like, it's just, it's hard to, you know, create that divide. Like, you know, when I'm in the office, like I'm a hundred percent creative director, designer, um, and I'm focused and I, I love that. Like once you embrace both sides as a, as a parent, I think it really helps. And the pandemic definitely didn't help because <laughs> it was a lot of things overlapping. Like, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but I remember in 2020, like having to do preschool zoom at the same time I was leading meetings was like, was like juggling that I could not handle. And I'm sure all the parents had to have similar, similar stories back then. Have you started doing homework help yet? He has homework, but it's not really like, <laughs> it's really, he aced I'm like, you're acing that like three, three plus two <laughs> and coloring the lines. But yeah, I, we're, we're not there yet as far as like hands-on. I'm actually bracing myself. Like when he gets to like fourth grade and he has to do like 
advanced multiplication or like what do you call it subdivision or whatever you call it (laughs) i'm gonna have to do my own research and watch youtube (laughs) i know i think it'll start way earlier than i would think not being able to help a child with homework anymore in my head i'm like i'm an educated woman i could help them through high school i don't think i could i forgot all the history and (laughs) advanced math like in high school, I thought I was going to be, my dad was a mechanical engineer. So I thought that, that was my, my direction I was going. And I was in calculus until the first week of calculus. I couldn't understand anything on the board. I was like, my, my brain just couldn't process it. And I was loving the complete opposite side of my brain, like just photography, design and art. That was really like kind of making my eyes open. But <laughs> math was like... It's so foreign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, there's no calculus needed in marketing, to, no. that, to my knowledge. I don't know. Noah was just using a ruler out there, so math is still required. Math is hard. Math is hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I remember two years ago, you, myself, and our CMO, Alex, worked together to get a message out from the 49ers accounts to bring awareness just to the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes um, at the height of the pandemic and that were happening, you know, across the Bay Area. And for me, like, as like harrowing and scary as that was, it was like a point of reflection, seeing three Asian Americans working together to promote change because we were blessed and fortunate enough to be in a position to do so. Which leads me to my question, like, what does representation mean to you and like why does it matter i mean it just really hasn't been like that up until now just being aware of like people that look like you or people you look up to i mean as a kid i didn't have anyone like as far as like my trajectory or things you know graphics i had no no idea who who worked in in graphic design and who was asian like I watched a lot of Bruce Lee movies and Jackie Chan movies, <laughs> but that was it because I love seeing Asians on film. But it wasn't until recently, you know, you see um, Crazy Rich Asians and then the Disney movies come out that are um, created by Asian Americans. And that's just cool to see. And and being in the room in our office with the three of us Asians and more in the organization, I think it's really important to just kind of like embrace that. I do get a lot of DMs and I've said like, I'm from the Philippines and I'm an immigrant, my social channel. I'll get DMs saying like, I love that you're from the East side. I'm from the East side too. And I'm uh, I'm from the Philippines. Um, Like how do I get into sports creative? I mean, just being that kind of steward to like help people out and seeing that like I am, you know, we're becoming just, you know, people that, who, who are visible and we could use our platform for others to really like kind of paint a picture for their future. I think that's really cool. Well, it's really important because um, there was the survey that was done by uh, leading Asian Americans to unite for change. And they pulled like 3000 people from the United States. 42% of them couldn't name one Asian American person, like a famous Asian American and the next uh, most popular choice was 11%, and it was Jackie Chan, who's not even from the United States. Right. So, like, I think there is, like, it is definitely, like, something that should be talked about more. Yeah. And I think, like, something that I've talked about with, like, our 
director of diversity, equity, inclusion is just like, you know, the 49ers should reflect our community. And I think, you know, yeah. we have the, our ERGs and, and are working towards a more diverse and inclusive uh, organization. Um, so I think it's just, you know, really cool, you know, when you're on a Zoom and you see yeah. people that look like you, even though you've been working together for five plus years now. And I think we're just starting to kind of slowly just see like, you know, that pe- that there are people, the next generation who are looking at us saying, hey, I can do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there have been several meetings uh, through my career where, you know, I look around the room, I'm the only person of color or, or, or Asian in the room. You know, it's something in the back of my head, but then, you know, the more we're aware of it now that, you know, okay, there's more people who, who look like me. I think it just kind of really helps me with like, I've lived my entire career or in my childhood with like inferiority complex and it's now starting to break a little bit more. Um, and a lot of it has to being, you know, being an immigrant growing up lower, lower income and just having to fight through like obstacles, I think. And definitely the organization has helped me help make people, you know, have the equal opportunity and just, you know, just the awareness really helps. How do you hope to see diversity and representation in the NFL advance in the next five years? Yeah, I think especially our um, area, our demographics, like a huge amount of our fans are Asian and of color. Where our the NFL is doing a really good job of like starting to roll out like the Latinx uh, initiatives, um, AAPI initiatives, and I think more of that would be great. And and it just it doesn't stop there. I mean, there's other um, tentpole calendar days uh, where, you know, uh, you know, Hanukkah, we, we focus on things that are on their social calendar. But like, w- what else can we do to really like make people, people feel like included uh, as far as fandomship? Final question. I think we've asked it on every single podcast. Patty and I actually have a new one today. We helped <laughs> um, build the stage for Media Day. But... Do you have anything you've done with the 49ers that would be considered in other duties as assigned and probably wasn't on that? Well, that, that was first. today. We were lifting heavy objects. <laughs> That's on well, there, though. That's like my, must be able to lift 25. My back is feeling it. Um, there, there are some projects that, you know, people, let me mention, I, I do, or do work on music. Um, so we had our Faithful to the Bay manifesto. So I actually created the, the music from scratch. I produced some music for that, and they had a voiceover with Keena Turner. And then we had like a throwback jersey reveal. I did the music for that as well and brought in the, uh, a rapper. Um, that's not definitely not in my like visual design or uh, creative director role, but I like to keep it that way. Like it, if you have a strength and even if it's something you do on the side, like go for it. Like you you all have your, your daily jobs, but you're now like podcasters and oh. you're, you're good at it. So for better or for worse. you should definitely like keep at it because it's, I think it's a really unique um, platform. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking with us. You are welcome anytime. This was a lot of fun and we should do more of these in person. I know this, this was actually great. great. Yeah. yeah. Eye contact is good. Hopefully you don't <laughs> lose that through the pandemic. You know, yeah. eye contact and smiles. 